Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey everyone, it is Tuesday, April 14th, and hopefully if you're in the Northwest, you've gotten a chance to enjoy the lovely weather. My daughters are currently outside, I think spraying each other down with hoses, because that's what kids should do on sunny days. Like I promised on Friday, we are going to jump into back into the Gospel of John. Hopefully over the weekend, you had a chance to read through chapters 1 through 7. For those of you in the encounter community, that you would be able to brush back up on where we're at in the gospel. For those of you who maybe are tuning in outside of the encounter community, we're glad you are here with us. And hopefully you had a chance to read John 1 through 7 as well. As you made that trek through John chapters 1 through 7, you would have enjoyed the amazing identity of Christ in John 1, the witnesses of Christ, and then as well as the signs that Jesus performed, like turning water into wine, he went into the temple and made some huge statements, and then he healed a guy who couldn't walk on the Sabbath made some people mad that day because he also said, I do what the father um, is doing and equating himself with God, which really frustrated some people. And then at the Sea of Galilee, he fed 5,000 people, which that was only counting the men. So many believe it was a miracle where he fed 20,000 people, which is a lot of people. So he amassed this crowd that was following him around because of the miracle. And then when he taught and said, hey, those of you who eat my flesh and drink my blood will inherit eternal life. A lot of people got weirded out by that. He was making some powerful statements about his flesh being his body, basically laying out the work on the cross that he was going to perform, that he was the key to eternal life and to experiencing the life that we live right now to the fullest, living in the fullness of our purpose, right? But a lot of people said, man, the saying is too hard. They walked away. Jesus turns to his core disciples and says, hey, are you guys going to leave too? And then Peter says this amazing statement, where else would we go? You contain the words of eternal life. We're sticking with you. We're not going anywhere. And that's a little bit of a paraphrase. And now we're in chapter seven, where I'm going to paraphrase a little further and then we'll lean into the end of the chapter. But chapter seven, it's during this time called the Feast of Booths, where basically it was a big camp out in Jerusalem at the temple where families would go. They they would stay in these booths or tents outside. Um, and then they would experience these different events sort of traditions, rituals, sacrifices, a different one every day. And it sounded like a big family-friendly event. Sound sounded like a lot of fun. And again, it was to remember what God had done in 
the wilderness. While Israel was in the wilderness, how God had provided and looking back to that time. Well, we start off this chapter with Jesus and his brothers. So his physical brothers, Joseph and Mary, had children outside of Jesus. And his brothers were sort of chiding him, saying, hey, you have this big crowd. Now they're gone. You should go down to the festival, the big camp out, right? And work your magic, and then you'll get your crowd back. And sort of poking fun at Jesus I'd imagine it was probably pretty tough to grow up with Jesus, like having a sibling who was always right, um, having a sibling who was always doing the right thing, having a sibling, you you know, when your, your sibling, if you have siblings, does something that is just like so good, you know, and your parents notice it over what you're doing, it sort of irks you a little bit. If we're all being honest, it irks us, right? For those of us who have siblings. And it irks us when other people get credit for stuff outside of us because we're obsessed with ourselves, right? It is our flesh, what the Bible calls our flesh. We love ourselves. And so within this sibling relationship, I'd imagine these brothers are probably leaning into that a little bit, taking the opportunity to give Jesus a hard time. And Jesus says, I'm not going to go down there yet. It's not my time. The world doesn't hate you, so you should go, but the world hates me. So his brothers go down, he goes down separately, and then, and that, that portion of this text is called the, the doubt, sort of the doubt or disbelief section. And then as he goes down to the festival, people see him, they start to hear his teaching, and we enter into the debate section of this text where people are saying, what is the authority he's teaching from? Because this guy somehow has learning or has, has been taught somehow, but, but we don't know where he studied basically laying out this, Hey, he didn't study under any of the rabbis. We know he didn't go to any of the schools that we know. How is this guy qualified to teach what he's teaching? And Jesus responds with this. This is really powerful. It's in John chapter 7, verse 16. It says, So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So Jesus points to our qualification is not in where we went to school, where we were trained, who we trained under, but he's saying you are qualified by your obedience. Now, in this day and age, in this culture that we live in today, I feel like it is emphasized, and maybe even in the definition of obedience today, it is emphasized the action on the other side of obedience, right? Obedience, when you hear the word obedience, you think of, oh yeah, it's doing what somebody said to do. And this is so different from the way Israel saw 
obedience. There's this word in Hebrew, and it's shamar. And shamar leans more into the first two parts of obedience. Because when you look at the word obedience, there's really, in the way that you you participate in obedience, right? There are really three parts. You have to receive or hear what someone's doing. So when I ask my daughters to do something, they have to hear it first. They have to tune their ears in because we all know it's very easy to turn off our ears and have selective hearing. Just hear what we want to. But the first part of obedience is hearing what, what someone has asked you to do. And so when I'm talking to one of my daughters and I'm asking them to do something, they have to hear my voice first and they have to actually listen. There's an action in listening. And then they have to receive what I'm saying. And receiving what I'm saying is so, um, it's a lot more complex than we give credit to. So receiving what someone has said, it all culminates in how much we trust that person. It culminates in what they're asking us to do. We sort of do an evaluation of what they're asking us to do. And then we either let it sink in or we just send it out into the void, right? So we have to listen, we have to receive, and then after those two things have been done, it produces an action, right? So there's a choice involved in the receiving, hey, I'm going to choose whether to do this or not, and then an action is produced. And the word shamar is leaning into the first two parts of obedience. The listening and receiving is so much more important than, of course, what's going to be produced out of the listening and receiving. Hopefully that makes sense, but shamar is is encapsulating the listening and receiving portion of it. And I think this is so crucial in what Jesus is saying, that he's not saying you need to do what I'm asking you to do what God has asked you to do because the Pharisees were doing what God asked them to do. Yet he says later in this text that I'm going to go someplace. I will be with you a little bit longer. This is in verse 33. He says, I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go? That we will not find him. Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Now, for those of you, they're obviously seeing things from a perspective that is this earthly perspective, which all through the Gospel of John, uh, and really in the last chapter, in chapter 6, Jesus was calling them out of this, this like physical mindset, right? This, this mindset that they can see and touch and feel. And even as Jesus is saying, hey, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was calling them to a deeply spiritual action of submitting to Jesus and the work of Jesus. Whereas they were just seeing, oh man, this guy wants us to eat him. That's weird. 
That's really odd. In the same sense, he's calling them to a spiritual level here. Because a lot, uh, many times I am guilty of when, when he, Jesus makes statements like this, I see some sort of like giant castle in the sky and there are seraphim and there are cherubim and they're all worshiping God and God is on the throne and Jesus is on the right hand and the spirit is inside of the room. And it's just this awesome worship service, right? But it's somewhere in the sky. It's somewhere in, in this place so far away from us called heaven. But that is so far from the truth, and that is so far from what he is calling us to. What Jesus is calling them to is the heart of God. He's saying, where I am going, I am going to the Father. I am going to the heart of God. I am going to be and commune with him. And just like we see in obedience, we see obedience as a word calling us to do we are actually created to be human beings. And he's calling us to just be with God. Because how do we truly listen and receive? If we're going to lean into Shamar, if we're going to lean into obedience, how do we listen and receive? It's by being in the presence of God with a heart posture that is submitted to him, that is submitted to his will that is submitted to what he's asking us to do. And what gets in the way of this is the same perception, the same perspective that that these Pharisees and these Sadducees and even these Orthodox Jews had. That they were, they put up in front of Jesus this lack of qualification, this judgment this perception of who he is before sitting at his feet and actually listening to the words he said and giving his words the opportunity to sink into their heart and take root. They wrote him off before they even listened to him. Jesus goes on to say in in verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, whoever believes in me. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's saying, if you, if you posture yourselves in submission and you hear me and you receive me, if you obey, if you listen to my voice and you receive what I'm saying and you trust in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And he's referring to the Holy Spirit here, but he's talking about this connection when we, when we come to the feet of Jesus, when we enter into the heart of God, when we, when we position ourselves in our day, and this could be in our silence and solitude, this could be in our car, this could be at our workplace, this could be anywhere that we are. He's beckoning us into the heart of God as we're submitted at the feet of Jesus and the work that he's done, that the Spirit comes in. And the doing that we do out of that place is not us doing, but it's the Spirit flowing. It's the Spirit flowing out of our life. That we would love like him, that we would live like him, that we would steward this earth like him, that we would subdue the earth like him. 
And it all comes from a state of being, a, a, a posture of submission, and, and a, in the place of the heart of God. He's calling us to shamar, to obey, to listen and receive. It says in verse 40, it starts to talk about the division that was created out of this statement, out of this interaction that Jesus had with these people, that some said he was a prophet, some said he was the Christ, that others were thinking, man, the Messiah was supposed to come out of Bethlehem. This guy doesn't come from Bethlehem because they didn't know the details of his birth. They were confused. And the interesting thing is some officers were sent to arrest Jesus because, again, he was equating himself with the Father and saying he is God. And as the officers come back to the chief priests, they say to him, and this is in verse 45, it says, the chief priests say, why did you not bring him? And this is so beautiful. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And this is the practical application that we see of what Jesus was saying prior. He was saying, those who do my will, who do the will of God, who listen and receive, and, and their life changes because of that they will know who I am. They will know where I come from. They will know the authority in which I speak. And these guards, so obviously we see the evidence in this statement, they went with a mission to arrest this man, to arrest this Jesus. But the posture of their hearts, I guess, was in this place where they would actually hear what he said. I don't know what, we don't get to see what was going on in their lives, what kind of desperation maybe they were in, what kind of journey God had taken them on, but they were in a place in their life where they were desperate to hear the hope of Jesus. And they heard him teach, they heard him speak, they heard him talk of this living water. And they were changed. They were transformed so much so that they disobeyed their orders that it overruled what, what their leaders asked them to do. We can't arrest this man because what he speaks, no man has spoken like this. Their hearts were arrested. We see evidence of this again. These Pharisees are trying to figure out a way to to get Jesus bound up and, and tucked away. And Nicodemus, who has also heard Jesus before, remember Nicodemus, he met Jesus at night and they had this amazing conversation where Jesus unpacked some pretty substantial truths about who he is and the mission of God. And Nicodemus stands among his peers and he says, maybe we should listen to what he has to say. Maybe we should posture our hearts. It says the Pharisees answered, Have you also been deceived? 
have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Then Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he has done? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Again, their perception of who this man was was blocking, was, was hindering them from sitting and receiving, having this posture of submission to the, this Jesus. But obviously, the prior conversation Nicodemus had had with Jesus caused some stirring. And Nicodemus was willing to posture himself in, in a place of submission and, and, and listen to what Jesus had to say. We get to experience the end of this story of Nicodemus's life later, but I would ask the question, what is Jesus calling you to through this text? I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're wrestling with, whether it's this whole COVID thing, whether anxiety is rushing in, whether it's just being cooped up at home, whether it is family trauma, whether it is sickness, whether it is your overall health, physically, mentally, spiritually. But I want to encourage you and emphasize this point here, that as you are being called by Jesus in this text, into the heart of God, the place that these Pharisees could not go until they postured their heart in a place of submission where they could listen, where they could obey, where they could receive what Jesus was saying. They would never know the truth of who he was. They would never know the gift of who Jesus is and the work that he was giving them. They would never experience that living water that pours forth from the person of God, from the person of Jesus, from the person of the Father. I would encourage you, in the next few days, would you have a conversation with God? Would you ask him, as David does in the Psalms, to search my heart, O Lord, and if there is anything there that would hinder me from entering into the presence, hinder me from experiencing your word and receiving your word, would you help? Would you help to clear my mind? Would you help to clear my heart? Jesus is calling through obedience to experience true knowledge, to experience true wisdom, is in the presence of God. It's in the heart of God. And when we experience the heart of God, when we experience the truth, when we know what truth 
sounds like because we have spent time in the presence of God. Our lives can be an overflowing well of his spirit. Would you listen and would you receive and would you let it affect your life? And trust me, you will see the Spirit flow through your life if you make this a practice to be with Him. You guys have an amazing rest of your week. We will talk to you again on Friday. I love you all. We'll see you then.